0: morning's message, and, uh, and then I'll let you go. Be good to see you back here this afternoon, and we gave new meaning to fast food today, didn't we? Uh, I, I try to preach as short as the Lord will allow me to preach, but I have to say what the Lord has me to say, and then we can sit down, but uh, there's nothing wrong choking down a burger so we can get back to church, and I appreciate you doing that, so you a good crowd this afternoon. Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to be turning there, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. And read several when you find it. Let's go ahead and stand. Stretch our legs one more time. I know some of you just ate. I didn't get to eat yet. I had to go right back to the office and uh, flip the script for this afternoon. And so uh, I'm, I'm wide awake. I did eat a Krispy Kreme donut earlier, so I've got a little sugar in the system. But let's go ahead and stand up. That way you don't get too sleepy. And I'll preach what the Lord's put on our heart. we will going kind of follow up this, with this morning's message. And uh, piggyback on that just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up, pick up in verse number 1. And we'll read down a few verses, we'll pray, and then during the message, we'll read a few more uh, to give the full context of the message. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, verse number 1, Paul says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. It goes on and says verse three, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be once named among you as becometh saints. Verse four Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks goes on to give us several things we'll read here in just a moment, but let's stop and pray and ask the Lord to give us what he'd have us to have today. Father, I thank you for the message this morning. Thank you for speaking to my heart. And Lord, I pray that we all have done your will in the services today. And I pray that, Lord, as we'll preach what you've laid on our heart for the afternoon service, that we've come with a heart ready to receive what you've given us. And uh, Father, I pray we'd leave here with it. Help us be obedient during the invitation time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's amazing how when you're preparing to preach and um, trying to figure out how the Lord has to kind of set the message up and illustration-wise, the things the Lord will bring back to your remembrance. And uh, I did tell you the other day as I'm approaching 40 that I'm realizing I, I don't remember as much as I plan on remembering. Uh, I used to say, well, I'm going to remember that, and I realized I'm not going to remember that. But it is neat how from time to time the Lord will remind you of something, particularly pleasant memories from your childhood. And I was thinking of one this afternoon of how, when I was a kid, uh, 7, eight, nine, 10 years old, i go hunting with my dad. And uh, we used to go hunting over near Monticello, Mississippi. And uh, dad would get up before daylight, and not to hunt, okay, before daylight, but to get where we're going to hunt before daylight. And we drive over, uh, over near uh, Monticello, out in the woods to an old gravel pit. We'd park the truck and get out of the truck. And it's still very, very dark at this time. We'd like to get to the stand before the sun would come up. And uh, we get out of the car, and uh, it's awful still and awful dark, way back there in the middle of the woods around Monticello. And uh, boy, I tell you, you'd hear kind of noises, and isn't it amazing how your brain will paint a picture of what you heard? And uh, it's frightening. You know, that little old screech owl sounds like a wookala or something out there, right? And I'd get out of the truck. And boy, just scared to death. If we walked down into the woods, there are no street lights. There's, there's nothing, really. It's just a flashlight. And Dad would kind of keep his flashlight to a minimal. That way we didn't wake up everything in the woods as we walked down through there. And as frightening as it could be, you know, worried about getting lost, never seeing your family again, and worried about missing out on the hunt, I really learned that there is a solution that really eased my fears uh, when we would go out there. And that solution was simply all that I had to do was follow my dad. We would get where we're going, and even though it was kind of frightening and scary and didn't know what was all ahead of you, I found that as long as I followed him into the woods and followed him out of the woods, I always made it back safe. And in case you're wondering, I, I didn't get killed. I did make it out alive. Some of you, you know, just kind of wondering there. But um, I was thinking about that this afternoon. And fast forward a little bit to life. And how often life can be a lot like the deer woods. You get out there and sometimes it can be dark, sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes there's a lot of unknowns in life. As you move forward, here we are about to move forward into a new year and none of us know what the new year holds. God does, but we don't know what the new year holds, but it can be frightening. Uh, Sometimes as we move forward into the unknown, we don't know what doors God's going to open, where God may lead us. I told you we didn't plan on being in Mississippi at the end of 2019, but those were the doors the Lord opened for us and we walked through them and that can be frightening. But then I want you to think about the same rule that I got into the woods and out of the woods by. There was so much more comfort knowing that all I had to do was follow my dad. I followed him into the woods. And by the way, I followed him very closely uh, because I didn't want to get lost out there. And, uh, you know, I was still at the place in my life where some of those imaginary creatures were very, very real uh, in my life and in my mind. And so I followed him in, followed him out. That same policy works in our spiritual walk. Whereas God leads us into a lot of unknowns, we don't know what this new year holds, but knowing that we have a solution in verse number one of Ephesians chapter five, the Bible says be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I want you to think about Central Baptist Church as we enter a new year, and this will be the first uh, beginning of a year since I have been here, and I know the Lord's put on our heart as we lead in the vision that God's given us for this church. I'll tell you, there's a lot of question marks in my head of how things are going to go and uh, how the Lord's going to bring about certain things to be and how God's going to bring about what He's put on my heart, but there's one thing that really puts me at ease. That we will find our way and we will go into 2020 if the Lord tarries and we will finish 2020 if the Lord tarries, if we'll simply follow the policy in verse number one, that we're going to be followers of God as dear children. Now, here's the reflex. If you're anything like me, the reflex on uncertainty and the reflex as we go into unknowns is to try to find your way forward. Okay, We get to things we don't understand. I told you uh, I'm not a mechanic. Uh, I'm not a camera repair man. I remember my wife's camera broke several years ago. I thought to myself, how hard could it be to repair a camera? So I got the screwdrivers and I went after it. And the camera to this day, your little pink camera, is still in a Ziploc bag with all of the pieces that I could not figure out where they go back. I didn't know what I was doing, but I said, I'll just figure it out on my own. And, buddy, did I mess up that camera? I was trying to find my own way. Now, understand this. That's the natural reflex. Why? Because it's self-reliance. All right? In the end, when we get in trouble, we have doubt, and we have situations of uncertainty, the reflex, the default, is to rely on self. I will take matters in my own hands, and I will figure it out. But I want you to know. The church cannot afford to do that. You cannot afford to do that. Your family cannot afford to do that. The only answer as we move forward into a new year, a time of uncertainty, not knowing all that God will have planned for us, is to follow the prescription in verse 1, to be followers of God as dear children. So the message this afternoon is simply this, not finding our way forward, but the message is following our way forward. The answer to all the uncertainty that's in front of us of what God may call us to do and how God may nudge us through that voice that was just sung about, the Holy Spirit of God, he's going to lead us forward. God does not desire that we remain stagnant, all right? God desires that we move forward, that we all grow in grace individually and then collectively as a church. And the way that we move forward with certainty... Is by following our way forward. So let's look at that thought. Ephesians 5 is going to kind of show us how we can do that. Very, very simple message. If you'll pay attention, not fall asleep. Smile, amen, from time to time. A couple of you can run laps if you need to. Start falling asleep. Just run around the lap. Go stand in the corner. I had a friend one time. He fell asleep in class, and the teacher told him to go stand in the corner. So he stood in the corner. A few minutes later, we heard a thump. He fell asleep in the corner and just boom, kind of slid down the wall. So if you start to fall asleep, just stand up. Just stand up. And we'll just say you got the spirit. Revival might break out in this place today all because you got sleepy. So God can use a donkey. He can use a sleepy human, okay? Ephesians 5. Let's jump into it if we could. Verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Either for followers of God as dear children. Now we're going to see how that we can follow our way forward. Okay, and go into a new year of uncertainty, finding the will of God. And there's a clue at the end of verse one. It says, "Being followers of God as dear children." Now we know God's not telling us to go back to the uh, elementary Sunday school classes. He's not telling us, okay, you'll find my will by, you know, crayons and coloring sheets and cookies and Kool-Aid. He's not talking about that. In verse 1, he's speaking about the heart of a child, all right, the heart of a child. He's telling us that in order to find and fulfill the will of God, we've got to be followers of God. And he shows us the type of follower, how to be a follower of God. It begins, number one, it first happens in the heart. Now, I want you to think about a child, And how willing a child is to follow an adult. Why? Because they have a childlike phase. It's that heart of a child. Yesterday, I had lunch uh, or breakfast with my brother and, uh, and my sister and her kids, my brother and his kids, and was uh, just house full of youngins running around there. And I think it was Viviana was sitting in uh, my wife or my mom's lap, and we were having uh, a ham and we were having uh, biscuits, a big breakfast for a late Christmas breakfast together. And uh, Viviana was sitting in your lap, and my mom was feeding her things off of her plate. So she's sitting in my mom's lap, and my mom would take a, a piece of the biscuit, and she would just move it in front of her face. And it, it's almost like a, a, a motion detector. As soon as her eyes detected the motion, and, you know, the mouse, she went, she just opened it up, and mom stuck it in there. She'd pick up a piece of ham or something, She just stuck it in there. That's childlike faith. She just automatically trusted my mom. That's the type of heart that God desires that we have. If we're going to find and fulfill the will of God, we're going to follow God through the uncertainty of a new year. And the way that we do that, it begins in our heart. All right? Now, let this sink in just for a moment. It's going to maybe sound confusing, but I believe you'll get it if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to unfold it for you just a little bit. I believe too many of us try following before we become followers. Now, let it sink in. We try to follow and go through the motions of what a Christian is supposed to do before we become a follower in our heart, okay? Do you know you can be a follower of God in your head, but not in your heart? You can be a follower of God in your actions and go through the motions without, listen, submitting your will to God and trusting that whatever God puts in front of your face, you're just going to go like this. Okay? That's what God desires of us. But that begins in our heart. So many of us, the reason that we run out of spiritual gas halfway through the year or a month into the year, it's because we were going through the motions when we had never submitted our heart to be a follower of God. That's where it begins. I told you this morning, why did Daniel follow God fully in spite of the circumstances? Why did Daniel follow God all the way into a lion's den? Because the Bible said that he had purposed in his heart. Daniel wasn't just a follower of God with his actions. He was a follower of God from the heart, and the actions will follow the heart, all right? But it's got to start here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Folks, you wouldn't have to remind yourself of who you are every morning if that was who you were in here. I got to remember, okay, when I'm at church, I can't say these words and I got to say these words and I got to look like this and act like, look, you wouldn't have to rehearse who you are if that was who you were in here. But you're not going to be that person until you choose in here first. Being a follower of God begins in here. Now, look, we've all grown up in church. Most of us have and uh, have good families and a lineage of faith. Okay, I understand that. And we learn how to go through the motions. But we wonder why our children, why well, as soon as they graduate high school, they take a hard left turn. It's because they were following without being a follower. You see, it starts in here. God's got to have our heart. And he says here, be followers of God as dear children. That's a follow at heart. Here's what the definition of follower is. One that's submitted to the followee. One who has submitted his will to the followee. A follower has submitted to the followee. Now hear me out. You will not be a good follower of God if you still want to go your own way. That's deep, isn't it? I thought, man, I thought I'm going to write that down back in the office and put it up on a wall somewhere. You cannot be a follower of God if you still want to go your own way. Now, now we desire the things of God. We desire the blessings and the providence of God. And we want the power of God. I don't know any Christian that somewhere in their heart of hearts does not want those things. But the problem is we want our way more. And that's why we never become a follower of God. And that's why we never find our way to the things we preached about this morning. Because we've never submitted our will to his. That's what a follower does. Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible. You look at how well they progressed through the project that was before them. I mean, rebuilding the walls in 52 days, oh, they just tore through it. I mean, most building projects usually end behind schedule, correct? Over budget and behind schedule. Nehemiah finished in 52 days. How did they blow through that project so fast and get it completed? The Bible says this, the people had a mind to work. That means they decided in here, we're getting the job done. We're going to fulfill the work that God's placed before us. i want to tell you this. Look, we don't have to be the smartest people, the richest people. We don't have to be the best-looking people. Amen. Some of you men on an amen with me right there. As long as we're willing to be followers of God, and it starts here. We've got to decide going into 2020, we're going to be followers of God, not just mechanical, but we're going to choose to submit and hear our will to his. One of my favorite passage of scriptures in Ruth, when Ruth and Naomi are going back and forth about going home. And in verse number 16, the Bible says that when Naomi saw that she was minded to go with her. When Naomi saw that she was minded, she had made up her mind. She had settled in her heart. The Bible says she left speaking with her. You know what Naomi realized? I'm not going to change this girl's mind. She has made up her mind. I'm not going to talk her up. And she left speaking with her. Folks, can I tell you, that's the mindset we've got to have going into 2020. Our mind's made up. Our mind's made up that whatever's before us, we're going to follow God to it. And if we get to a Red Sea, we're going to follow God through it. Why? Because no matter what, the adversity, the uncertainty, we're going to follow God so that we can find his will in the new year. But our problem is... We get too mechanical and following in the motions when in in here, it's not in here. We haven't settled that in our heart just yet. I'll tell you this, you will never, I can tell you this from personal experience, you will never be committed to God's will, all right? You'll never be committed to God's work. You'll never be committed to God's way if you haven't been submitted to his will, all right? You'll never be committed to it. You you may get excited, man, brother Heath comes up and sings an awesome song and your your spirit is stirred and you're like, sign me up for whatever God wants. And all of a sudden you realize you got your heart stirred but you didn't choose to be committed to that. And you didn't commit to the will of God because you didn't submit to the will of God. There's got to be a point where you say, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna give my way over to God and I'm gonna follow him. You cannot be a follower of God and go your own way. That's impossible. I've tried being at two places at once. I've yet to succeed. Jeremiah chapter 24. Turn over with me real quick. I want you to see something. Jeremiah chapter number 24. And I want you to look down about verse. Let's catch verse 6 with verse 7. Jeremiah 24, 6. Watch what the Bible says. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good. And I will bring them again to this land. And I will build them, and not pull them down. And I will plant them, and not pluck them up. Boy, that's, that sounds inviting. Verse 7, watch how it all happens. And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Notice all that God's prepared and all that God desires to do. But notice the key component in all of it. It's not our talent. Our church is loaded with talent. Somebody asked me yesterday, how many pianists do y'all have at y'all's church? A lot of churches have a hard time finding one. I mean, we are blessed with so much talent. We have so much singing and wonderful teachers and administration. I mean, our church is loaded with talent. But understand... We can have all the talent in the world and all the money in the world and all the good ideas in the world, but we will never find to fulfill the will of God until we choose to submit our will to him and follow God with our whole heart. That's the missing ingredient, I believe, oftentimes in the world we live in today, and that's why we're not finding God working work in our churches anymore because we lack the heart. David said in Psalms 119.10, he says, with my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder. David says, I'm, a, I'm afraid. I don't want to wonder. I don't want to get off behind you. Boy, as a nine-year-old kid following my dad through the woods, I didn't want to wonder. I mean, you know, in Louisiana, we had what was called a Rougarou. That was the booger monster there. And uh, here, we you know, we have the at camp. And a few, of our kids, a few of our kids in this room said they've seen the at camp. I don't know, but I don't, trust, I, mean, uh, I don't trust them. I don't question their judgment, you know. I figure if they said they saw it, that they saw it. But, man, I didn't want to wander away from Dad. There's, man, there's booger monsters out there. How am I going to find my way back to the truck? How am, I away, how am I going to find my way to the deer stand? I just got to follow Dad. David says, I'm following you with my whole heart. I'm not going to attempt to try it on my own. Now, I want you to think of the flip side of that real quick, and I'll give you the second thing. If you haven't noticed over the past seven months, my first point's the longest, and they progressively get shorter, all right? So just, there's hope, all right? James chapter 4, verse 7, we sing this a lot with our kids at camp, and we sing it a lot at, um, you know, Bible schools. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I want you to think about the very first word. In that verse, the Bible says, submit Submit, that means I give my way to God's way, all right? That means I quit going my way, I'm going to follow God's way. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Interesting that if I will submit my way to God, I'm submitted to God, I'm going to follow God, the Bible says resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But can I tell you why I think the devil causes so much of us so much trouble? Is he can look at our life and he can tell we're not submitted, you see, when you've yet to submit to God's way, you're telling the devil you're still on the market. You're telling the devil, hey, look, I'm not fully committed to them yet. You know, it's kind of like a wedding ring until you put it on the finger, you can chase after them, you know? Now, once they get a ring on their finger, quit chasing, okay? That's, we'll leave that for the other religions, but at least good Baptist folks shouldn't be chasing folks with wedding rings on their finger, okay? But the devil looked at your commitment as your wedding ring. He looks at your life and says, they're not submitted and they're not committed to God. I'm going after them. They're still available. I promise you the devil will take full advantage of all the unsettled areas of your heart. If you've not committed and submitted your heart to God, the devil can see, hey, there's still room to work. This is why the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Do you know how you give place to the devil? By not being submitted and committed to the will of God. When he looks in your heart, and he sees a piece of real estate that you've yet to commit to God, he sees room to work. And if we're going to find the will of God, God's got to have our whole hearts. Okay, God, I don't know what your will is for me in 2020. I am sure at some point, at the beginning of 2019, I committed to God again, recommitted to God. 2019, God, this is your year, whatever you want. And then the phone begins to ring in March or April. Central Baptist Church, what are they wanting? Oh no. Oh no. Now look, it's nothing, I didn't have anything against you. All right, you're nice folks and you've been real kind. I, thanks for all the Christmas gifts. have been great and the cards. Thank you so much for everything. But, you know, God, I, I was committed to you here. I don't know if I put that in the fine print of my commitment, but I was committed here. and God says a partial commitment is no commitment. You see, folks, we've got to get to the place where we have submitted to God's will in our heart. Be there for followers of God as dear children. Dear children have a childlike faith. They trust their father. But then watch what happens. Go to verse 2 quickly. The Bible says, and walk in love. I love this part because right after we see the heart in verse number 1, the heart of a child, something follows after it. So before you get too comfy, thinking, okay, God, I have committed my heart to you, and I'm going to go back and get in the lazy boy. Don't get too comfortable in the lazy boy yet. Because we see some action in verse 2. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Number two, the way that we become followers of God, it first starts in the heart. Number two, it's followed by our life. That's what the word walk means. It's our lifestyle. Now look, it's essential for you to make a decision in your heart To follow God, all right? That's where the decision starts, but that's not where it stops. Too many of us good Baptist people, we have good hearts, but very poor lives. The reason it's got to start there, it's kind of like the battery in your car. That's what gets it started, but there's a whole lot of other components that follow after you get it started. And the Bible says once we have the heart of a child to become a follower, then we walk in love as Christ also, the Bible says, hath loved us. Now, folks, understand this. In the year ahead, a decision in the heart is essential. You've got to make that, and you can make it today. I'm going to follow God in 2020. But sooner or later, that decision should manifest itself in your walk. We have this weird, weird mindset uh, in the church today that salvation is something that happens in the, the hiddenness of our heart, and it doesn't affect anything else in our life. But when you, man, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at the people. Look at the people who trusted Christ as their Savior. Man, it was more than their heart that changed. Their life changed. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the demoniac of Gadara, their life drastically changed. Why? Because it happened in here, and it overflowed on the outside. We have way, way, way too many undercover believers today. Why? Because our feet are not following the decision we made in our heart. I'll give you something interesting. Uh, several years ago, I was reading in Joshua. We preached about this morning. It's Joshua 1, believe verse number 3. And God is recounting his promises to Joshua of what he wants to do. Uh, he says, look, Moses, my servant's dead. Arise. I want you to take the children of Israel and finish the job. Take them into the promised land. And here's what God said, I believe, in verse number 3 of Joshua 1. He says, every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon... That have I given unto you. Every place that your feet touches, I've given to you. Now what's interesting is he didn't just say I've given it to you. He says there is some walking and effort required to secure what I've given you. I need you to go there. It was figurative, but I also believe it was literal. I need you to literally go and claim what I've given you. Now let me just ask you a quick question. If if the governor of Mississippi were to say, I'm going to give you. We're going to take the DeSoto National Forest, and I'll give you every spot of land that you can put your foot on. Man, I'll bet you there would be a mass exodus for the door. There would be people driving worse than you normally do down the highway, and all of a sudden, you folks who might be a little slower in your movements would find a renewed life. Some of you lazy teenagers would all of a sudden get excited, and man, you'd be tap dancing all over the DeSoto National Forest. Why? Because everywhere I put my foot, I get to keep. Now, folks, we're not promised land here, but look, we have promises of God that have to be claimed. Sooner or later, the commitment that we say that we make in our heart needs to bubble over on the outside and affect the way that we live. Let me tell you, I don't have much of use, neither does the world have much of a use for a faith that cannot change your life. It's sweet to say it changed my heart. Nothing wrong with that. It starts there. But I'm going to tell you, the world out there, they see a whole bunch of charlatan religions where people say their heart has been changed. And what they're looking for is people whose life and their walk has been drastically changed by what happened in their heart. You want to convince somebody? Just let them watch your walk for a little while. Lazarus didn't have to convince anybody that he was alive. Think about that. about Lazarus walks around, he gets out of the thing, they unwrap him, you know. I still, I wonder, did he stink? You know, did he still stink? Did he need some deodorant? I don't know. Just kind of those thoughts crossed your mind. And Lazarus walking around. Do you think he had to go up to people? I'm alive. I'm alive. Hey, I've been born again. I I don't think Lazarus had to do that. I think people just watched him. And they could tell by his walk, his life, that he was alive. Now, folks, hear me out. If we're going to change the world... If we're going to change Hattiesburg, if we're going to reach our families, something's got to uh, change and happen outside of our heart. And that's our walk. He says in verse 2 walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. So he's showing us that being a follower in our heart will manifest itself. Okay? I know in the world we live in, there's that whole phrase where you can't judge a book by its cover. Maybe not, but you can judge a tree by its fruit. Can't we? Doesn't the Bible say something about fruit, spiritual fruit? And by their fruit you shall know them. Let's look at some of the fruit in chapter 5. Look down at verse 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now look, I don't know how you get around that. I wonder what verse 3 means. I think it means what it says. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. What is it saying? It's saying, look, there's a change, all right? That change of heart brings about a change of lifestyle. It manifests itself. I've heard the term mentioned over and over again uh, by preachers throughout the years, and I believe 100%. We've gotten to where we believe in a cheap grace. It's cheap Where all it can do is change our heart, but it can't change our life? Let me tell you, there's not a whole lot of use for a grace like that. And that's not the grace of the Bible. We see people whose heart was changed and their life drastically followed suit. And the Bible says that's the standard for you as well. Look at verse 3, verse 4. Look at verse 8 real quickly. For ye were... If I'm not mistaken for our English teachers here, correct me if I'm wrong, after the service. Were is a past tense word, correct? For ye were... Sometimes darkness, but now are, present tense, if I'm not mistaken, ye light. Look at the changes. Look at the changes. You see, when we submit to God, become a follower of God in our heart, our life should follow and it should be evident in the changes of our life for where you were and now you are. Look down at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth Proving was acceptable acceptable God. There's that word fruit again. What is fruit? It's evidence of what the tree is. Fruit is evidence of what the tree is. Now, folks, let me tell you something. The church today has a bad, bad habit of thinking that I can proclaim to be an apple tree, but never produce apples. I mean, it's a bad mindset that we have. Don't, oh my goodness, if I see one, I hope none of our people own those shirts that say don't judge me. You can't judge me. Don't judge me and all that. Look, you ought to be worried about the one who can and who will. All right? Don't be worried about other people. Oh, I'm worried about people to judge me, what people are going to think about me. Look, what they think about you might hurt a little bit, but oh, eternal. Eternal is what God knows about you. And he will judge us. And he's going to judge us by what? Not how you felt in your heart. He's going to judge you by your fruit. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness. There's that bad word we don't like in the church today. Righteousness. Our life should show what happened in here. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Here's what's interesting. Verse 10 is telling you the result of what happens in the previous verses. When we show the fruit, we prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. We prove what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, I hate to, look, I hate to harp on it, But I really do fear we seek to prove more what's acceptable to the world than what's acceptable to the Lord. We try to blend in. We try to conform. The world gets that pressure we talked about this morning and pressures us and puts the heat on us to conform to the mold of the world instead of proving. Look, I hate to tell you, but I watch young people uh, in our camp and I watch young people come from other churches and I go preach at youth camps and other places and I see these young people. And you can tell, you can tell, you can tell. They got the world all over them, all over them. And they're not proving what is acceptable in the Lord. They're proving what's acceptable to the world. And then they wonder, and we wonder, why we're not winning people, because we're no different than them. So number two, it's followed by our life. Quickly look at verse 11. You see another manifestation, if you will, of submitting in the heart our will to gods And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness But rather reprove them Uh oh Here's a bad change and a scary one Notice the fellowship of God Has now influenced Our fellowship with others Amen I thought that was a good one But maybe swinging the a miss Have no fellowship Now remember These are the fruits Of verse 1 When you submit your will and commit your will to be a follower of God, the fruits in the preceding verses, that's what manifests itself. And one of those fruits in verse number 11 is our fellowship. Folks, your fellowship of God should affect your fellowship with other people. It should, it should, it should, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Have you seen the new Reese's commercials? I I watch them because my wife loves Reese's. And uh, the commercials talk about, you know, the can and all this. At the end, it says, not sorry. I going to start saying that when I'm it. Not sorry. I'm not. It's the truth. And look, we need to hear the truth, all right? Our fellowship verse 1, should produce verse 11. All right? Being followers of God should produce us. I can't go there. I can't be around them. I can't watch that. I can't listen to that. Listen, fellowship is just not when you and another person are in a room. Fellowship is when you are exposed to a culture or an atmosphere that is contrary to what you know is better. All right? That's fellowship. The Bible says have no fellowship with them fruitful works of darkness, but rather, watch this, not only are we not to have fellowship, but we'd rather reprove them. Now, this doesn't mean be a rock thrower. I'm not a rock thrower. I don't get any joy at throwing rocks at people. I get joy at throwing rocks at that dog that eats that in my garbage and tears my garbage out. But I don't like throwing rocks at people. I'm not here to get you hurt. I'm here to get you help. All right? And look, the reason anytime I preach something that thus saith the Lord is reproving, it's because I love you and I want to help you. Okay? That's the only reason we mention these things. God says, as my children and as followers of me, it's hard to have fellowship with them and be a follower of God. There's a question we all ask ourselves when we have a temptation or an opportunity to go or be, to do something or to watch something or listen to something. Ask yourself, is it going to cost me my fellowship? Am I going to have to take the exit lane and peel off and God keeps going? Look, I don't care who it is, friend, family, television show, radio, song it doesn't matter. If you have to take an exit all following God in order to pursue that, you don't need to do it. Amen? Don't need to do it. Why? Because nothing's worth leaving off following God. Remember, there's booger monsters out there. And you quit following your father, you're in the dark alone. And who knows what's going to happen. You're not going to find your way to where you're wanting to go, and you're going to miss out. So number two, it's followed by our life. Well, man, we could go on and on with, with, with chapter 5. Uh, let's, let's quickly look down to verse number 15. Show you another fruit of it real quick. See then that you walk. There's that word again. It's not talking about exercise. See then that you walk. That's your lifestyle. Circumspectly. That we walk circumspect. That means cautiously, cautiously, carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. I want you to think about this for a moment. This really rang true in my heart. Verse 15. Boy, really hit home with me. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a parent. Um, I'm uh, I'm a pastor. And uh, I try to be friends to to, uh, folks. And so as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, I'm leading. And it's important that I be careful in the way that I walk, in the way that I lead. Why? Because as a leader, there's people following you. And I have to be careful which way that I walk. Why? Because there's people behind me. I have a wife and I have a daughter. They're following me. And I've got to make sure I don't lead them into trouble. How horrific would it be to watch our children go through the nightmare of darkness and all the monsters that are out there in the world because we chose to peel out from God. And lo and behold, here's our kids walking like little ducks right behind us. And we led them into darkness. That's why the Bible says walk circumspectly. You see, it not only does it affect you, following God affects you, but it affects the people that are behind you. And then it goes on to say, it in that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The Bible tells us that in all things, in, in Titus 3, that our lives should be an example. An example. Why? Because there's people following us. Now, here's, here's the neat thing, and I'll give you the last point. So, how do we do that? How do we walk circumspectly? I mean, there's so many choices to make, there's so many opportunities the world provides, there's so many directions we can go. How on earth do we know? Verse 1. Verse 1, we just follow God as children. Man, I just, man, I said, all right, Dad. Look, I never asked Dad, Dad, do you have GPS? You know where you're going? I'm nine years old, and we didn't have GPSs back then, okay? We had to use this really nifty thing called a compass. It's like a watch, but the finger moves around on it as you walk around. You ought to try it. It's a really neat thing. Kids will find that amazing, magical, mysterious, you know, sorcery. <laughs> I never asked my dad that. I followed him as a child. I just trusted he knew where he was going. I never asked dad, "Dad, are we headed due north? Dad, are we are we know our way back? Did we mark the trail?" No, I just I just followed him. How do we walk circumspectly? You just follow your father, take him by the hand and follow him and follow him closely. So number one, it happens first in our heart. There's verse one, and then all verse two all the way down through verse number fifteen. It shows it follows up with our life. It's our walk. And Then as we head into 2020 we head into a new year, a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what God's got planned for us. I'm excited about it, but even though I don't know what all he wants to do, I'm excited about it. There gives us one more clue in verse 16, if you'll look down there. First, we know well. The Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You say, well, how, how far do we follow God? You know, how far do we take this? You know, a lot of us think that there's a, a lid or a ceiling on spirituality. I don't want to get too spiritual. You know, I don't want it'll cost me some friends. You know, the thing I want to holy rollers who prays over his lunch at work. You know, it's sad that that is one of the you know the marks of a holy roller that you pray over your lunch at work. But the Bible shows us how far we're to take this. Verse sixteen, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So how far do we take this following thing? Well, number three. It's followed to the finish. Redeem the time. That means you have a set amount of time. As Paul would put it, we have a course to run. 2020, as far as I can tell, has 365 days. Okay, 365 days. If the Lord tarries, that's all the time that we have individually and collectively as a church is 365 days. That's all we got. And we've got to make sure that we have submitted our will and heart to God to follow him. How far? That we redeem all the time. I'm going to follow him all the way. I don't want to deviate one second, one step, one moment away from God. Why? Because I want to fulfill the will of God in 2020. And the only way we can do that is by following him all the way to the finish. Never got lost. I never got lost. Never got left. Never missed out on the hunt. A few times I fell asleep out there. Uh, Dad always told me the biggest deer walked by when I was asleep, slumped over, you know. I didn't have the, the fortitude that I have now to sit out there in the cold and freeze, you know, and I'd fall asleep. Or I had to have, oh, let me tell you, the worst part was the walk of shame. The walk of shame was when I just got so tired and so cold that I had to walk back to the truck. So I'd walk over to Dad, and Dad would get me all the way back. That was, I just didn't feel like a man, you know, I couldn't sit out there and freeze all day long like a man. I can now, you know, <laughs> amen. I don't know if that's a good sign, but here's the deal. The only way you will redeem 2020 is by making sure that every step is following God forward. We're not going to find our way and figure it out, flip a coin and check the, uh, the, the direction of the wind or see what the trends are online. We're going to follow God. I remember I met with the deacons before we came here. And uh, uh, our deacons were very kind and, and, and very compassionate in their questioning. And, and uh, one of the questions was, how do you know that you can lead this church? And I said, well, I don't know. All I know is that I have followed God everywhere else he's called me, and he's just taken care of it. And so pretty much we'd employ the same tactic here. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I don't have the best ideas in the room. But I do know how to follow pretty easy You just go where the one in front of you is going, and you'll never get lost. Now, folks, in your life, all you got to do is follow. In your home, all you got to do is follow. In this church, all we have to do is follow, find the will of God, and then fulfill it. The Apostle Paul is trying to help the church at Ephesus know how they can know all the things that lay before them and, and, and achieve all that God has prepared for them. And he says, just be a follower. Just be a follower. One of our kids—I can't remember which one. Our kids oftentimes will bring me priceless, limited edition artwork to my office. I save every one of them. I've got a box back there in my office. Our kids will draw me pictures, and you know I'm a very sentimental guy, and those things mean a lot to me. That a kid would take the time to think about you and draw a picture, and sometimes I look better in the pictures and have more hair in the pictures than than I do in real life. So I kind of go with it. I've, I've got one, I've got some right now on the shelf in my in my office, and. I remember a while back, I can't remember which, one, which kid it was, but they, they brought me a picture and gave it to me, and I just stuck it in my pocket, and later I opened it up, and I looked at it, it as a, a drawing, and I, I found them later at the school. And I said, man, that was, that was a great picture you drew. And they says, well, I didn't really draw it. I said, well, it's okay. It looked great. You know, it looked like you drew it. He says, I just really learned to trace very well. And I was thinking before I came over here, you know, so many of us, because we're so full of pride, We want to draw our own picture, paint our own way. We don't have to do that. All we have to learn to do is trace really well. God's given us a pattern. There's no point for us to turn out with an abstract Picasso life. It could be a Norman Rockwell if we would just learn to trace the lines. Now, Folks, I think there's a lot we can learn from our kids. That's why he says be followers of God as dear children. Just trace the pattern that's there. Folks, I don't know what the picture's gonna look like at the end of 2020. I don't know. But I know because I know my God that God's pictures and God's paintings are beautiful. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to know what lies around the corner. All we have to do is learn to trace. Follow the lines. And we do that by following God. It begins in your heart. It's followed up with your life and then a commitment to follow and redeem the time all the way to the finish. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Listen real quickly. Why don't we resolve today that we're not going to try to paint our own story? We're not going to try.